Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode 116 of the Reinventure Me Podcast. Is the best part of your life behind you? Well, we're going to talk to someone who works with a lot of people that ask themselves that question. We're talking to Wes Yoder today. Find your next great beginning. Welcome to the Reinventure Me Podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Well, hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Reinventure Me Podcast. I'm your co-host, Larry Gates, along with... Armin Asadi. My co-host. Great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've had a lot of fun over the last few weeks doing we these. Have. I'm just like really amped up, you know? Yeah. And Armin and I had an opportunity to talk to some of the people here in the Twin Cities about what it's like to put on a podcast. And, you know, <laughs> we had to confess we felt like newbies, but still right. after 130 episodes, you know, we're still right. learning a lot. We were the experts. But we were, we were... That's because there was nobody else in the room that did it but we did have a lot of fun with that didn't we absolutely it was uh it was crazy just listening to the questions that they had and how new this was for them and how crazy podcasting is starting to get it was a it was a good time yeah it was a good time and i know we're gonna have a good time today and i mean i've been looking forward to this i want you to meet a man who i met a few years ago Mm -hmm. wes yoder when I sat down and talked to him the first time, I mean, I just had an instant connection. You know how you meet some people and you go, uh, there's a lifelong friend right there. Right. And uh, Wes and I have talked more on the phone than we have in person. And we've talked a lot about getting <laughs> together and having some time together. But let me tell you about Wes. Wes is the author of a book called Bond of Brothers. If you haven't read it, hmm. you need to read this book. I'm going to have it, a link for this in the show notes. Oh, okay. so it's really about how men need to keep create connection. And he starts out this book talking about what inspired it was the walk down the aisle with his daughter. And I went through that very walk too. So I know some of what he wrote about there was just right on, but he is a pioneer in the contemporary Christian music, which means he's kind of my age (laughs) because he's been around a little while like me. He created the first Christian based speakers bureau and it's the largest uh, ambassador agency. It's a Christian based literary agency and a speakers bureau And uh, get this, he's done the national media representation for Rick Warren and Purpose Driven Life. He's done the literary representation of Mistaken Identity, The Shack, and Bonhoeffer, all those huge mega-selling hits. Yeah, that's right. That was the first Christian book I actually read cover to cover, minus, well, after the Bible. Yeah, you read a book cover to cover. That's awesome. I know. Way to go, millennial. Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) But yeah, The Shack was it. It was awesome. I'll tell you, Wes has just become such a good friend of mine, and it's great to have him on the show. But I want to tell you, we're in good company now, this Reinventure Me podcast, because Wes has appeared on the Today Show, NBC Nightly News, ABC Prime Time, Dateline, CNN Headline News, Time Magazine, New York Times, and now... He's finally arrived. And now the Reinventure Me <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to our show, Wes. I'm glad you could be here today. 
Oh, listen, thank you with that kind of an introduction. My gosh, I was about, you know, I felt like I had a rocket attached to my back. We're just flying. Oh, yeah. Well, you guys what, are crazy. That's what you do. It, you, you, you put rockets on people, right? Well, you know, not exactly, but so, sometimes we get to participate in adding a little bit better fuel to whatever the, you know, the launch system is going to be. Yeah. Well, let, talk about some of that. You represent quite a lot of successful people. Well, you know, I'm I'm basically a farm kid from Pennsylvania who is absolutely amazed at what has happened in my life. 22 years old, straight off the farm, had had run dad's farm for two years after high school, then two years in construction. And I wind up in Nashville through a set of circumstances, had no idea. You know, the, the communists and the capitalists both say, make a make a plan, make your five-year plan. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't understand I didn't even know about the kind of work that became my life work. I I never heard of this kind of work until six months before I actually started doing it. And and it was just a set of circumstances that, you know, the, the scripture that says, make your plans, but God directs your steps. That is absolutely the story of my life to hmm. this day. Now, you said you didn't know you were going to do, you were going to represent people as a, as an agent. I didn't know there were agents. I didn't know there were, I didn't know that kind of work even All right, existed. So, okay. So I got to ask you the question, like, who's the first guy that said, I want you to be my agent, even though I know you don't know what anything, anything about being an agent. <laughs> I mean, that uh, person it, had it a lot a, of trust. A courageous, right? courageous musician by the name of Randy Matthews, who was one of the early Jesus rock guys. And I learned, I learned a lot through that process. And Almost simultaneously had an offer from a, from an agent in Hollywood to move to Hollywood. That's a whole nother long story. We don't have time to talk about it today. But apparently, it, it was clear to the Holy Spirit that this is the area of work that he wanted me in, engaged in. So here I am in my 44th year now. Wow. wow. So it, you went from this first guy who said, I see something in you, even though you have no idea what you're doing, that you might be able to represent me and help me get my career off the ground. <laughs> That's correct. And, and and you went you you took that and wave and you wrote it off into creating an agency then. Is that right? That's right. I mean, moved to Nashville for what I thought was going to be one year, fully expected to move back to the Pennsylvania community that I was from, but never did. Things got interesting. It became very much for me kind of the furnace where God burned from my life the things that were preventing me from becoming the person he had designed me to be. I'm very, very grateful for the valuable lessons, expensive lessons even along the way. I, 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 um, I tell people all the time, I learned almost everything I know the hard way, but it's also, in, instead of learning hard lessons, I began to refer to them as valuable lessons because how much they cost me, but then, <laughs> but then I how like much, that. yeah, on top of that, how much the benefit was from learning things thoroughly. I, I remember back in my 20s where I would be making the same mistakes over and over again, some of them moral failures, some of them spiritual issues, some of them in business. And I remember frequently praying and saying, God, would you please help me learn the lesson this time? This is so painful. I can't bear this again. Help me. Mm. You know, maybe on my third go around, I finally, you know, I started waking up and I started waking up to the reality that what God was choosing for me was far better than anything I ever chose for myself. And that's that's a no-brainer, but it's something that was a very vivid lesson for me in my 20s. Here's the God of the universe, infinitely wise, infinitely knowing, 
created me a certain way and began to impress me with the idea that I was not going to be God's first orphan, but a son, and that he was going to direct my steps. And, and that's when the adventure for me really began, when I started trusting him to guide what I thought I was going to do. Yeah. But I'm guessing, though, from knowing you, Wes, is that you applied a lot of your intellect and energy, though, to really learning something about the music industry at that time and really trying to help your client and clients then subsequently be successful there. Is that right? I I studied everything I could about it. I asked within six months of being in Nashville, I asked Bob McKenzie, who was very instrumental in the music business here, very influential in, in the development of Bill and Gloria Gaither and worked with them for many, many years until his passing. I went to him and said, Bob, would you, would you please consider being my mentor? You've been in Nashville for six years. I've been here six months. You know so much already. Would you please help me? And he, he took me under his wing, taught me the music publishing business, which was very important for me to know at that time, taught me about the record business. And so I had that kind of help early on. And then about 1978, I remember visiting the Harry Walker Agency in New York, interested in what they were doing with speakers, because I, I noticed that there was no one representing speakers who was doing it from a a biblical kind of a a biblical worldview perspective. And so I visited the leading agency literally in the world at that time and asked them what they were doing. They were kind enough to give me a meeting to show me their operation, to explain what they were doing. And six years later in 1984, actually opened what became the first faith-based speakers bureau anywhere in the world. So you then probably took a page out of your early career in the music industry to find some courageous soul to trust you with their speaking career. Is that right? <laughs> well, there were several. The, on, on the first list that we had, you had names like Cal Thomas, who was a political columnist, went on to become America's leading political columnist. And since 1984, Cal Thomas and I have continued to work together over, over all these many years. We had Frank Schaefer was a part of that first list of speakers we offered, as as was his mother, uh, Mrs. Edith Schaefer. Mm-hmm. And I've read Edith's books. I think we're talking about the same Edith Schaefer. We are, the one and only. I mean, she had a yeah. little brief fellowship, all of this stuff. So there were a lot of, lot of things that were kind of part of the early formation and just creating a pathway for the message that speakers and authors had to become more visible and more available to the American public and to the church itself. Okay, so you took this passion that you had for for helping people kind of move along in their career, and you moved it from Christian music into Christian speaking. What are some of the things that you see? Let's talk about the the, the success side of this. You've worked with a lot of successful people. What are some of the challenges you see them deal with and address as they're working on their career or or trying to be in the public light and, and also maintain the integrity that I think that you were talking about earlier? I think one of the things people have to come to terms with is their own level of anxiety about their own life. Uh, Can they come to a place of peace, first of all, with who they are, with the talent they have, whether it's much or smaller? Can they live within kind of the framework with which they've been created? Can they be content? Like the Apostle Paul says, I've learned with much or little to be content. I'll never forget working with a husband and wife comedy duo. This is back in the probably early 80s sometime. And they were making about $20,000 a year and literally starving to death. Barely enough food for groceries, you know, never enough money for rent. The car was always, you know, broken down. 
And I have never seen anybody worry more about money in their life. And so we took them on. We said, you know what? You have a lot of talent. We think we can help you. I think the next year we tripled their income to somewhere in the 60, middle $60,000 range. So, I mean, back in, back in that time of, of life in the 80s, that was a lot of money, especially if you're tripling the income. The thing about this young couple was I saw them worry more about money when they had three times as much as they had the year before. Mm. I mean, they, they were literally more anxious about their finances. So I think one of the big challenges that people have is when you have a little, you learn to do with little. Riches increase. Proverbs says, don't set your heart on them. And you can start worrying about holding on to something that was the gift in the first place. And instead of just saying, God, I trust you with my life. I trust that you're going to provide the groceries for my kids. who, by the way, you happen to love more than I do. Mm -hmm. What do you think that was, Wes? Do you think because there's more money now, it's not a matter of trying to get something that you don't have, but now it's a mindset of losing it? Yeah, we're all afraid of losing. And I, so am I. I mean, I, I think all of us have the fear that comes somehow in our demented side of our life that is just afraid of discomfort. We're afraid of pain. We're afraid of suffering. We're afraid of losing. You know, I, I especially remember early thought processes where, you know, you'd go through a hard time and you go, wow, I'm glad that's over. Finally, things are more peaceful again. We actually did pay our bills. And what you notice is that there's a, there's a slow life transformation that happens every time you go through a testing time or a suffering time, something in you changes either for the better or for the worse. And the worst part is if you become bitter about how much this is costing you, how much you lost, how much things cost now, how much somebody stole an idea from you, whatever the worry mm -hmm. might be, you name your own. Right. Or you can learn to forgive those who have hurt you. You can learn to say, in my suffering and in my sorrow, I met the man of sorrows who is acquainted my, with my grief, who, oh, by the way, promises to make my joy complete. I can live in that space or I can live in the, in the place of bitterness. And I've been really fortunate that God has not allowed me to live very long sulking or licking my wounds. I, he's been able to you know, to, he's helped me, uh, seriously many times over to say, okay, this is where we are. What, what, where do we go from here? God, what do you want to do next? And trusting that as long as my life is not over here, there's still more to come that even the best part of my life is ahead of me. And no matter what it might be, I don't, I don't know what old age is going to be like for me. I'm not as afraid of it as I used to be. I remember sitting at an ice cream party with my 90 year old uncle. And, and as a younger man, I had been, you know, really afraid of older age. Oh no, I'm going to lose the strength of my youth. I won't be able to do all these things. Eating a bowl of ice cream in the backyard. And I said, uncle, you're old now. And he said, yes, I am. I go, I have a question for you. Do you feel old? And he said, oh no. He said, he said, I have to be careful or I'll fall down. If I try to walk too fast, I, I have to be really careful now when I drive my car. I can't get my body to cooperate. Oh, but inside, I don't feel old at all. Mm -hmm. And I go, oh, that's the key. And I think that's the message we pass along is, look, this is this time right here, no matter where you are, retired, just starting out, young millennial. This is, I don't care where you are in life, as long as you are alive, can we just look at this part of our life as this is the springtime of our life? 
you know, not only because there's an eternity ahead, but because the years that we have left are meant to be important because we still have them being given to us year after year as gifts from God. Mm-hmm. You know, in the music industry, I remember a long time ago, you can probably remember this, Zager and Evans. Do you remember that group? I don't. Uh, well, they were. They did a one-hit wonder. They they didn't even have a song to put on the other side of the forty-five that was sold. <laughs> great. That's great. That's classic. <laughs> and, and I'm guessing that you probably saw a few of those yourself. And and one of the things about thinking about your future, especially when you reach some level of notability and success, you know, you got a big book coming out like The Shack, right? <laughs> what follows that? And I think right. a lot of people who have reached some level of success, feel this pressure that they have to maybe do that again, repeat the success that they had. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about that, because I think it's that's kind of like what you're, what you're talking about here, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to reference Paul Young at that point, who is the author of The Shack, who has said to me at least a hundred times, Wes, if this all goes away tomorrow, I'm, I'm fine. Uh I know how to clean toilets. I know how to run a shipping department. I know how to do all this stuff. If it goes away tomorrow, if that's better for me and better for my family that it goes away, I'm okay with it. I didn't believe him at first. Uh I thought he was just saying that because it's sort of a nice sounding spiritual Uh platitude. This guy is serious about it. Uh And, and I think that's the attitude that we, that we come to life with every day, that every day is an absolute gift. We are still here. Even if I am relegated one day to sit in my rocker and have somebody feed me, if I have the right use of my mind, and maybe even if I don't, I can still love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength, yep. and my neighbor as myself. And these being the two greatest commandments, I think there's going to come a time in my life when I'm okay with that, that that would be enough as the purpose of my life. You know, people, my dad, when he was in his early 80s, uh, one day said to me, he said, Wes, he said, I don't, I don't know what the purpose of my life has been. And I literally started to cry. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a man who never made more than $27,500 a year in his life. Here's one day at church, somebody standing up, their car has broken down, they're not making their rent, whatever. They don't have any way to get to work. He's going to lose his job. You know what dad did the next day? He took his car to their house, parked it in their driveway and left the keys in it and refused to take it back when the guy wanted to give it back to dad because he knew dad didn't have any money either. Mm. And I said, look, you know, you have seven kids that are that are following Jesus with all of their hearts. What do you mean? You don't know what the purpose of your life is. But it it opened up for me this understanding that most of us, when we get to some point in our life, either after the last big deal that just got done and we we're afraid there's not going to be another after a big failure and we wonder, how am I ever going to get out of this hole? Or when we're just older and nobody's calling and we're, you know, things are maybe a little more lonely, we're going to wonder, every single one of us, what is the purpose of my life? And I think we need to take some steps at this point, wherever you are, to reassure yourself that as long as you are here, there is still a springtime, an eternal spring, but, but, but even tomorrow, tomorrow can be incredible. Yeah. Now it, it, as Paul Young is probably an exception though, among the people that you talk to, I'm guessing, right? I mean, that seems like a very exceptional response. You said yourself, you were surprised by it. I was surprised by it because I think, I think uh, what I noticed more in myself 
is a self-protection sort of mindset. Right. That's back to what Armin was talking about earlier, fear of loss, right? We don't want to lose what we've already achieved. My wife and I both grew up in families without money. You know, when I worked the farm for two years for dad after high school, he was able to pay me $50 a month and that was it. I'm a pretty creative guy. I was able to get myself in, in some, you know, really good debt uh, over those 24 months. <laughs> My wife, when she was 14, lied about her age, told the local theater she was 16 so she could earn enough money to keep the lights on and food on the table for herself and her younger five-year-old brother. And so we have, I noticed about 10 years ago that there was this mindset that I had internally. And then I noticed that Linda was kind of operating. This is one of these unspoken vows that you make with yourself. And I said to her one day, I said, I think we have made a vow with ourselves that each of us individually, but it's affecting how, how we relate to things. We have made a vow that says, I will never again be poor in my life. Mm-hmm. And I go, I'm not sure where that came from, came out of self-protectionism, came out of all this stuff. But what if it is better for us what if it is better for the kingdom of God? What if it is somehow better in a way that I can't even understand for us to be poor again? Would we be content with that? Yeah. May, yeah. To change it from, I vow to never be poor again, to be, I vow to never be discontent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, that vow, if you say it that way is going to get tested for sure. Why? Right. Exactly. But I th- I think it's a better promise to make to yourself than the other one. Uh-huh. You know, a few episodes ago, uh, Armin and I spoke about, uh, or the question we asked is, can drive and contentment coexist? Because we're both very driven people, and yet at the same time, uh, we think the Apostle Paul was, and also at the same time, we need to work in that contentment. That's a choice that you make, and it's a daily choice. You're, you and your wife are uncovering a subconscious choice that you were making about never being poor again. But I think oftentimes, to be content is one of those things you have to choose. Right. And being content is something very different from apathy or yeah. oh, being absolutely. apathetic. I mean, yeah. I have no interest in apathy whatsoever, but I have a lot of interest in contentment Yeah. So, and eating the strawberries out of my garden, for example. <laughs> the farmer is still in you. <laughs> it is. I can't get away from it. I don't even want to. My, you look at my hands now. There's nice pieces of dirt under my fingernails that I got in the garden this morning. Well, I thought you said mice, <laughs> not nice. No, no. <laughs> right. Maybe both. So, okay, this idea that we're talking about uh, never being poor in life again, I think it's something that's a very quotable, tweetable, Instagramable, or whatever it might be. And it sounds really good in concept, but me as a millennial, and I, I start thinking about how do I apply that, I die on the inside because I don't even know where, that, where, where to start even thinking about how to apply that to my life. So to someone as inexperienced as me when it comes to life, how would you guide someone like me into having a life that is never poor? I would ask you to literally right now hold your two hands out in front of you, palms up. Doing it. And look he's at doing these it. things. Yep, he's got it. Look, look at these things. These two hands that God gave you are themselves gifts from God. And the question I have for myself, literally on a day-by-day basis, and for anybody else who will actually listen to me, sometimes people just walk away and shake their heads and go, that's too hard. I've tried it. I, it. The cost is too high. But this is my prayer. God, put into my hands whatever you want there and take out of my hands anything that is not good for me, isn't pleasing to you, is just getting in the way. 
Mm. And I don't care what the results are. And I am sure, I am sure that any man, woman, or child, elderly person, young, it doesn't matter, willing to pray that prayer seriously. God, take out of my hands what you don't want there. Put into my hands anything you want, and I don't care what the results are. Will never miss the purpose of their life. And ultimately, contentment is going to come somehow connected to knowing that you did not miss the purpose of your life. Now, I have to back you up because you said it twice, but I think the key of that prayer is the last phrase, and I don't care what the results are. Mm. Well, some days I say, and I don't care if it's a toilet brush, and then my <laughs> wife wants me to clean the bathroom. Yeah. But I don't care what the results are. And, and you can only pray this prayer if you really believe that we have a really good father. If you don't believe that God is good, you're going to stop before you get to the end of that sentence. You're not going to be able to say it. So this prayer has become reality in my life, kind of on the parallel track as I became more and more confident that that our father is really good and that he is not going to make of me or of any of his children his first orphan. God does not have orphans. He has sons and daughters of the living God. We call them orphans. We call ourselves orphans or slaves. We, we do all this stuff. God never sees us that way. Yeah, it takes a lot of trust to get to the point where you say, it doesn't matter to me what the results are because I know it matters to you more than it does or should matter to me. Boy, that's a huge, of, huge amount of trust. One of the things that I am still learning, and I was afraid of this, you know, the, the, the lilting songs we sing to each other that are you know, sometimes scripture, sometimes made up lies that we tell each other about God, all kinds of fun stuff. But, yeah. but the one is that, you know, I, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrections to share in his suffering. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And be conformed to his death. Uh-huh. And the one, you know, and it talks about, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I never could really honestly say that. And I don't think you have to pray for that any more than you have to pray for patience. It's going to come to you, Right. You, no one can escape the sorrows of life. But what I didn't hear embedded in that before the word suffering is the fellowship that's involved in it. There is a camaraderie with Jesus and fellow sufferers that is so incredibly rich. There's this deep, deep place of understanding in life. And so I don't care what the results are. doesn't mean that when I when I get to the circumstance that I'm able quickly to embrace this sorrow or this pain, I don't mean that at all. I just know that I have lived long enough now that the other side of this, when I go through it, I'm not going to want to do without the benefit of what I learned in the process. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get to the question we put on the table here is, is the best part of your life behind you? When you talk about what that prayer is all about, it really suggests a, a trust about really a statement about your future, right? I think it's about the future. I mean, we don't really have, I think it's actually more a statement about the present moment because we don't have the past. It's gone Yeah. as, as, as good or bad. We don't even have tomorrow. We don't have the future. We don't ever live in the future. That's true. And if we do, if we do live in the future where we, we turn into crazy people, what I have right now is this wonderful moment with you and your audience talking about things that that are really alive and true in my life and so so i have this moment and i have 
the next one, Lord willing, I hope I have tomorrow. I look forward to tomorrow, but I don't yet have tomorrow. And and so so part of this is the best part of your life behind you. Is it yet ahead? I think when you're really alive, you can look with this Cheshire grin on your face and say, the best part of my life is this moment right now with you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really being present. I'm learning that. I'm trying to learn that. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% there, but I'm, I'm certainly further along in that than I have ever been in my life, and I'm thankful for it. Yeah. You know, all this time, we forgot to ask you, Wes, to share a quote that's been inspiring to you. I love the writing of George MacDonald, a pastor from Scotland in the 1800s. He's written all kinds of books. He was a novelist. He came to America on a lecture tour. Uh, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens at first made fun of him, and then George MacDonald reached out to him. They became good friends. George MacDonald was good friends with W.H. Alden, another of the literary community of England and Scotland at the time. And there is embedded in one of his odd books called A Dish of Orts, O-R-T-S. Orts is just a, a collection of odd things. And so he would write these little things. And this is where this quote comes from. And it is this, where a man would make a machine or a picture or a book, God makes the man that makes the book or the picture or the machine. Would God give us a drama? That is a theater play, right? Would God Mm -hmm. give us a drama? He makes a Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is really fascinating. If God wants to see a stage play, I mean, first of all, the idea that God might want to see a stage play, are you kidding? I mean, who thinks like that? But we ought to. We ought to think like this about our creative efforts. Does he hire the actors? Does he write the script? Does he rent the theater? No, he creates a Shakespeare you know, what happens when God wants to see space travel? You mean to tell me God wanted to see space travel? Absolutely, or it wouldn't have happened. So what has to happen for God to see space travel? First of all, there has to be the discovery of fossil fuels. Somebody discovers that. Somebody figures out how to refine them. Somebody comes along and 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 discovers how to make the internal combustion engine. And then you have the industrial revolution that comes along and then you have the Wright brothers, you know, you know, from Greek mythology, we have all these stories of people trying to learn how, how to fly, right? Here are the Wright brothers and some guys in France about the same time are trying to figure out how to get something to fly using an internal combustion engine that is using fossil fuels that somebody else has discovered. And we start what, what became known as flight and the space era. So the question for you. If you're sitting there wondering if your life is over, if the best part of your life is behind you, what has God reserved for you to discover that no one else can? Mm. Maybe it's something that you will write. Maybe it's something beautiful that you will make. Maybe it is an act of kindness that you can do for someone else. But only you are going to be in that space at that point where you see the need for it and you go, I have the resources to do that, or I have the ability to do this. I have or, 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 or a thought occurs to you, quote, unquote, out of nowhere, and all of a sudden you have something that has been reserved in your name by God for you and only you to discover. Oh, I love that thought, the, the idea that there's something that's been reserved for us to go find. And uh, the Proverbs does say it's in the charter of kings to go search a thing out, right? And that's what we're to do, search a thing out. Absolutely. I mean, I, Einstein you know, had this incredible quote. He says, God is subtle, but not malicious. 
nature conceals her mystery by means of her essential grandeur, not by her cunning. I mean, once again, just talking about all the things that God has embedded in his creation that have not yet been discovered. I mean, we can't even, we can't even imagine what that looks like, except that we have this sense that we know it's true. All right. Well, there's a lot of stuff that's keeping us from tapping into that reservation, right? That, that, that thing that's been reserved for us, I shouldn't say tapping into the reservation. We have reservations about tapping into the thing that's (laughs) been reserved for us, right? What, what would you suggest to challenge our listeners to take the concepts, Wes, that you've been talking about, the things that you've seen born out with some of the people that you've worked with, that you've perhaps counseled, maybe even some of the fears that have driven them as well. How would you challenge our listeners to take what we've been talking about today and, and maybe apply it to their life? I think until we come face to face with the truth of our being, the truth of who we are, we're never going to fully accomplish the things that have been reserved for us to accomplish. So I think the first calling, if you want to use that word, the first matter of importance for any man or any woman is to thoroughly know themselves, both their strengths and their weaknesses. This is a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to get completely honest about my strengths and my weaknesses without being overwhelmed by your weaknesses or becoming arrogant about your strengths. Yeah. You can't go down that hole of depression when you make this list, but you come face to face with who you are. Maybe you do this by, by writing on a three by five card. What is the greatest sorrow of my life? And number two, what is my greatest fear right now? Mm. And looking at that honestly, and then, then telling God about this. I mean, not that he doesn't know already, but maybe you've never been that completely honest with God where you can say, hey, this is what I think is the truth of my existence, the truth of, of who I am. And I'm not happy about it. Maybe you're angry about it. Maybe, maybe you're so wounded, it's so hard. But start the process of, of that complete honest assessment of who you are. And when that happens, understand with this, you can't just look at your sorrows. You can't just look at your fears. You're going to have to lay claim to the fact for yourself that you are the precious and beloved child of your father, Mm -hmm. that he loves us more than we love ourselves. His, you know, and then the questions start coming. Well, if, if he loves me so much, why is my life so hard? And I just, I just ask those of you who are listening to Embrace the idea even more deeply in the face of that, that no, he loves me. He is a good father and he has a future for me. And those things for me have constantly helped me get unlocked. If I look back over the course of my life and look back at the worries that I've had about money, at the worries about being irrelevant, the worries about whether my failures were now going to prevent me from accomplishing things in the future, I bring it down to the present moment almost every time and say, do we have enough food for dinner tonight? Do we have enough food for breakfast tomorrow morning? Mm-hmm. Am I, you know, get it down to the practical. Go, oh, we're still alive, and everybody's going. Everybody's going to make it to the end of their life. And I guess what we're talking about is whether we're going to just coast and drift into it, or whether we're going to lay claim to the idea that this is springtime. It's the springtime of our life. God isn't. God has some errands for us to do. He loves us more than we love ourselves. And, and perhaps we should change our attitude and begin to believe that he really is leading us on an adventure to discover ourselves and how beautiful and great he is. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's an epic, epic challenge. And Wes, we could probably talk with you all after, I know I could, all afternoon, but unfortunately our time is out and we have to say so long. But listen, I want to make sure we put on our show notes access to your website so people know how to get to you. We'll have your book there as well. So for those that want to know how to order that and get more of the wisdom that you have about how men can connect with other men, that's a that's a whole nother podcast in of itself. And I know you and I have shared a lot on that. But if you have any questions for Wes about this topic or you want to just share your observations, uh, we'd love to get your comments at our show line at 612-314-5447 or on our show notes at reinventure.me. Wes, thanks again for being a part of this show. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation. I hope you have a great evening and a good present moment. Yeah, well, thank you. So this is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi and Wes Yoder saying so long. Thanks. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi.